Hi, my name is Alan Henry, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation with Mike Vardy. I'm Mike Vardy, and I'm joined by Alan Henry today. Now, Alan is a service journalist and editor who writes and commissions stories that help readers make better use of their technology and embrace a healthier relationship with it in their lives. He's currently the senior editor at Wired. He was also the editor-in-chief of the productivity and lifestyle blog, Lifehacker. He was also previously the smarter living editor at the New York Times. We get into a lot during this conversation. The new work rules for the marginalized, I can't speak to, but he certainly can, so let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Alan Henry, a rather productive one at that. Let's get started. Alan, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me. It's great. So, seen, heard, and paid the new work rules for the marginalized. Now, when I introduced it, I'm like, I didn't know what to say. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because I know, here's the thing, is as I went through the book, the right, one of of my favorite parts in the book, and it's at the very end, is in your acknowledgments. I got to find it real quick here, is what your agent said to you. Um, I think, it, yeah, it was your literary agent. Here it is. My literary agent, William Laturco, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Who met a very nervous me for lunch and explained over a very heavily dressed Caesar salad that this story <laughs> could do real good for people who need it. And that I absolutely was the person to tell it. And yeah. it's spot on. Um, <laughs> as I went through the book, I, and and I, I wonder if this is, this is probably intentional, but I'd love to get your take on it. So I went through it. There was a lot of like, Oh, moments that came to mind. Um, and again, I'm not marginalized. Like I'm, I'm in that, I'm not in that, that arena. And what's, what's interesting is even though you and I both have, you know, you were the editor in chief of life hacker. I was the managing editor of life hack. I think at around the same time too. Similar. Yeah. Similar, similar. Um, we both spoke to people and we'll get to this, the idea of people who kind of the productivity porn kind of aspect that, that yes. you bring up. Um, Absolutely. But as I was going through it, I'm like, I, I didn't have a full grasp of the fact that we can give all these productivity pieces of advice and different ways to work, but there's a nuance there beyond the nuance of the personal productivity aspect that you bring right. to light in here. So yeah. what, when you you wrote an article, I think it was for the Times, right? That yeah, that kind of yeah. led to this. What? Yeah. When did you decide that it was time to like make it a much broader, you know, a, a book? Why? Why? And right. why did you say, "Hey, it's time to turn this into a book"? Yeah, I, I got lucky um, when I wrote that article for the New York Times. It was uh, what to do if you feel like you've been discriminated against at work. Um, it was really supposed to be that kind of thesis that like, hey, I realized that all of these productivity tips and tools that I had been writing about for so many years were very successful for some people, but not for me. And it was, it took getting into an environment where that was the case in order for me to decide, you know, hey, maybe I should say this to other people. And part of that was because I had had so much success writing about productivity tips and writing about, you know, these tips and tricks and these apps and downloads and things. And then suddenly I was in a world where none of that was helping me. Mm. And I said, well, there's got to be a way around this. There's got to be a way to fix this. Um, When I wrote that article, it was partially because I realized that a lot of the reasons the things didn't work for me, that they worked, that worked for other people had nothing to do with me. Right. Um, And when, uh, 
the really the story that led straight to the book was that the my book editor uh, at Penguin Random House sent me an email and said, "Hey, would you love to? I would. I love this article. Do you want to expand on this idea?" That email went to spam, um, <laughs> and <laughs> never saw it. Um, and but what didn't go to spam was William Latorto's email, where he said, "Hey, do you want to get lunch and talk about turning this into a book?" Um, so we did get lunch, and 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 we did talk a bit, and then I dug up that editor's email, and just after a quick back and forth with those guys, they were like, "You know, there are a lot of people who could probably see themselves in your shoes, right? right? They they." want the help. They want the apps. They want the tips. They want the tricks. But for some reason, they just keep banging their head against this career wall and they don't know how to get around it. And that's exactly what you've been through. Not everybody has that same experience. So it was pretty easy to convince me. I was like, oh, okay, well, if I can help some people with this, then then I will. Well, and I think that that you bring this up early on in the book about the idea of when you were working for Lifehacker, the people that were reading it were the people that needed it the least. It was like it was yeah. like a, a, you know, it was like a moth to a flame, right? Like they just, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, and I find that that I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but a lot of productivity type and time management type products are generally directed, and this is going beyond you know uh, race and all that stuff, but directed towards yeah. people who are wealthy like the higher level like c like c-suite types and there's the people who don't i mean they're mar and you talk about marginalization and i want to get your definition of it too because i think sure immediately people are gonna say oh marginalized it must mean this there's a there again it's like productivity (laughs) there's nuance so let's let's dive into that when you talk about the new new work rules for the marginalized what do you mean by marginalized yeah and this is something that i like to tell everybody marginalization is for everybody Mm -hmm. um and usually you know when i in my personal experience you know i'm a black man working in america you know i've i've been subject of microaggressions and prejudice and, and all of the things that you know you could probably assume but that is an intersectional thing. And like intersectionality is a big kind of concept in in social justice circles, meaning loosely that everyone's injustice is someone else's injustice. It all kind of plays into each other. So, I mean, yeah, these, these work rules apply to people like me who faced, you know, discrimination or hardship because of their ethnicity, but they also apply to women in majority male workspaces and uh, neurodivergent people in in predominantly neurotypical workspaces, disabled people in ableist workspaces. And these things apply to everyone. Whenever you're not the cool kid at the table, you're being marginalized. And you probably had an experience where you're like, you know what, I don't understand why everybody is being mean to me, but they are. And I'm I'm suffering because of it. It's causing my mental, it's, it's a challenge to my mental health. It's a challenge to my career growth and it has nothing to do with me. So what do I do about it? And that was, that's kind of it. That was the thing for me was understanding that, you know, yes, this thing is out of your control, but what you can do is work around the thing and work around the people. And that's kind of, I wanted to give people a sense of, of uh, agency, a sense right. of power. Uh, so they didn't feel like, oh, well, if they're going to hate me for who I am, then that's just how it is. Now, on one level, yeah, you can't, <clears throat> you can't change minds, but you can keep doing your best work. 
And that was the other thing. Well, and, and, and what's interesting is we hear that advice of like, you can't change anyone else's behavior, but change your own. But those mm. rules are different when you're marginalized, right? Because oh, yeah. It, well, it feels, I would imagine, and again, I can't speak to the, I can only, you know, kind of think about it. Um, yeah. it is, it, it, I would imagine it just feels insurmountable because no matter how much you try to work through your own behavior, there's just so many different externalization stuff that's going on that it makes it, you almost kind of throw your hands up and, and, and go, well, you know, I guess this is the way it is. Yeah. And that's, that's the unfortunate part because it is, it is very difficult to kind of wrap your head around. It, it's, it's, there's almost always a point where you do kind of throw up your hands and say, well, what can I do about this? Mm. Um, and the key there, the thing that I tell people is to not internalize that feeling of despair, because again, it is not something that you choose, right? You don't, no one goes to work wanting other people to dislike them, right? No one goes to work wanting somebody to exclude them from meetings. So you don't internalize it. Don't make it about you. Just work around it. And I mean, it may require, and I hate this because it already, it asks people who are marginalized for some reason to take on additional work. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you do have to work around those people. You do have to do a little bit extra to forge those bonds and, and allyships with people who don't have those problems with you that other people might. And through those relationships, you'll find greater success rather than just throwing up your hands and saying, well, I guess this is just how this industry is, this job is, I'm never going to get ahead, or this is how society is. All of those things may partially at least be true, but that doesn't mean that you can't still excel. And that's kind of what I wanted to do in the book was give people some tools to actually say, okay, this sucks. We all agree it sucks, but you can still do something about it. And, and one of the things that I talk about when it comes to productivity is the idea of intention, right? Like intention yeah. plus attention. There's a point that comes up in the, in the book uh, when you talk about positive stereotypes and positives yeah. in air quotes. And one of the things that was, and I want you to explain this because, and I know it's out of context a little bit, but you can dive yeah. in. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. 
Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. This stood out. Separate the intent of action from the mm-hmm. impact of the action. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you think that as you explain it, because I'd love you to hear you, you know, the context, but also that I think as I read that, it didn't just apply to the people who were being marginalized, but those who were marginalizing. Absolutely. Okay. A- absolutely. And it's, it's, it's funny. Um, the, there's an activist uh, radio host, uh, Jay Smooth, great guy. Um, he did a video many, many, many years ago uh, called How to Tell Someone What They Did Was Racist. And it, I found that particularly instructive because he's not, he, the whole point of his kind of YouTube lesson, it was very short, and was to tell people when you want to address problematic behavior, address the behavior and address the behavior's impact, not the intention behind it. So intention matters less than effect when it has to do with the way that two people interact. So I'm not like, it's, it'd be, if someone says something problematic, you say, hey, what you said was problematic. I'm not saying you're a problematic person. Mm. I'm not saying you're a bad person. No one, because no one wants to hear that, obviously. That, and that's not key to changing people's minds or behavior. If you tell them, hey, what you did was problematic, what you did, regardless of your intention, caused harm, then you don't want to cause harm. Right. And most people are more receptive to that than they are to, hey, you're bad, but, uh, you know, I'm yeah, going to cancel that, you or that's something being, like that. That's a being thing, not a doing exactly. thing, right? Exactly. Exactly. Exactly the key. So, I mean, yeah, no one wants to be like, oh, you're a bad person. Right. But the thing that you did may be bad. And if it is, then easy, easy fixes. You don't do it anymore. We're going to get to rule eight in a minute. But when, oh, I yeah. want to I want to go to something that resonated with me. Yeah. Because I hear this a lot and I hear it from a bunch of people. It, again, when you mentioned marginalization and I was going through the book, I'm like, these things are prevalent in, you know, I see it in other areas as well. Or I mm-hmm. see it in areas that I didn't think marginalization was necessarily having as great an impact as it was. There's a there's a piece where you talk about managers. Yeah. You say, and now if your manager is anything like managers I've had, they'll turn to you and say everything's a priority or <laughs> it's all important and just walk away. Mm-hmm. Not unique. <laughs> I think that, not at all. That's not <laughs> unique. So, so what you, this is in the rule which says only spend time on work that gets you attention. And I talk, right. when I talk about productivity, I think productivity is again, it's the active link between intention and attention. Mm-hmm. So when you say only work on, only spend time on work that gets you attention, it, there's, there's gotta be some nuance there. As well, I would imagine, right? Because sometimes the attention that you would get would be quantitative, like look how much is as opposed to qualitative, right? right? So can we can we explore that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and earlier in the book, I I talk about this concept between uh, office housework versus glamour work, right? Right. And um, but even the housework can be good work depending on who it's you're doing it for and how well you are at marketing that work for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So if it is quantitative work, you're piling up those documents and those reports and things. If you're really good at selling the fact that you're really good at doing that work, then you're going to get rewarded for it, right? Uh, so I think that that's the key, though, is making sure that the work that you do is 
not just the best work or the best use of your skills, but it's also the best use of kind of your own marketing ability. And I hate to say that because it sounds a little sleazy, but like it's that way of, of talking about your work to your manager or their manager or even a potential a potential manager at a different you know, company or something like that in an interview where you say, I'm really good at doing these things. I'm also I'm really passionate about these things because I know a lot of people who wind up doing things because they're good at them as opposed to because they like doing them. Right. So that's it's 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 difficult, but it's an important distinction. And when we get to rule seven, where you talk about being a problem solver or not a problem complainer brings us to my yeah. quote that I had from when I worked at Costco. One of the managers used to say, if you're going to come to me with a problem, come come to me with a solution to the problem, which is yep. which is. Frankly, some people would say that's a cop out. I don't think it is. I think it's I think no. that was hit that was him saying, you know what? I I'm empowering you, but it was mm-hmm. done in a very subtle way. You talk about, you know, again, there's there's things in here that I think are really valuable. Like keeping an eye on your boss's changing priorities is one thing because there's so many times back to that earlier question where it's, everything's a priority. It's all important. Yeah. Um there you mentioned that and, and this, again, I, I think this is true across multiple, you know, kind of areas is that they're not paying attention to, they're thinking about their work. They're thinking oh, about yeah. all the things that, they're not, I mean, they don't, they don't want to think about the work they've asked you to do. They've got their no, own, no, own. absolutely not. So, so you, so again, and you brought up a few times, like having to make sure that you're keeping your eye on things, but mm-hmm. that I think that, that once you lean into that a bit more, would it, would you say that it, it does it make it easier or does it just make it better? It, it makes it better. It's certainly not easier. Right. I will say that. Okay. Um, I mean, that's one of those things where like you have to pay if, if you no one likes all hands meetings. No one likes <laughs> no one likes corporate board meetings and things like that. But sometimes it's really important to pay attention in those Mm -hmm. because you might see a slide, you might hear a tone of voice in some VP or something that lets you know that this thing is going to be a big priority next year, or this thing is going to come down to your department eventually. And eventually that means it's going to be your problem. Um, Yeah. I had that CIO uh, long before I started writing long before I got into journalism. And I, I asked him, I'm like, Hey, you're the CIO. You tell me what I should be working on. You know, tell me what is most important to you. And he turned around to me and he was like, everything's important. Mm-hmm. I got everything needs to get done. And I'm like, that's that sucks, man. Come on. You can do better <laughs> than that. But but he was also trying to tell me, like, you know, listen to the things that I tell you about. And you will get a feeling for the things that I need you to handle now and the things that I need you to handle later. And it took time for me to kind of develop that, that intuition. And I think, I don't think it comes naturally. It right. is definitely a thing that you have to practice, or if you have like a mentor or somebody who can kind of help you understand or read between the lines, that helps a lot, but it, it doesn't make it easier. Not because it doesn't take any of the work off your plate, right? right? You still have to do all the work. It just tells you when and how to shuffle things around based on, for example, my CIO's manager, his CFO, would come to him and say, hey, what's the status on this thing on Monday morning that I haven't talked to you about in months? Well, the CIO is immediately going to turn to his team and say, hey, what's the status on this thing we last talked about 
three months ago. And now it's everyone's priority. If you can get some intuition into that, then yeah, it'll help. <laughs> Do you think that the pace of the world and the mm. go, go, go fast, fast, fast now, now, now mm. has done, has a big role in this, in this, because yes. it doesn't give us time to think no, or pay attention fact, to subtext or anything like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think that um, it has the pace of work in general, and especially uh, during and through the pandemic has removed even the free time that we used to have to explore our own best working methods. There used to be a time, at least for me, where I felt like I had the opportunity to try out different kind of, you know, productivity methods and like different tools, see which works best for me. And now I'm very much in a space where I'm like, I don't really try things just for the sake of trying them anymore. I stick to the thing that works for me until it doesn't work. And then I look for something else. But even in the process of looking for something else, I don't feel like I have a lot of time for that. Right. Um, now, I do think that in general, that's a better way to work rather than, you know, trying lots of things and throwing darts at the wall. But Sometimes it's fun to say like, hey, maybe there's a better way to do things. And maybe I'm going to spend some time thinking about it. Who has time to think about it anymore? Well, and before it was your job. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepassword.com slash productive convo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Like in That's a- true, too. <laughs> and Lifehacker was absolutely my job. Well, it, it, so, and that brings me to like, it, it, rule eight yeah. seemed like the pivot point in the book. So yeah. rule rules one through seven were like setting the table. Yeah. Rule eight is like, Okay, here's a trap, though. So don't fall for this trap. Yes. Which I would argue that both of us probably helped set to a degree when we worked. (laughs) Without a doubt. And And then the remaining are kind of like the lessons. It's almost like. The remaining rules, would you say they're like a postmortem of, yeah, kind of. of that? Right? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, you, yeah. you alluded to it. So it's it's interesting because the term productivity porn, I think I first heard Merlin say it. In yeah. the book, you, you, I think it was someone from uh, from Microsoft, uh, right? Vi- from Google. Google. Vivek Shah. Google. Vivek Shah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's true. Merlin was probably the first person to say it. Yeah. Um, Merlin said a lot of things for the first time. That- <laughs> Inbox <laughs> Zero, true. for crying out loud. I mean. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You and I could have a whole conversation. Mo and I from oh. Boomerang had a conversation about that a few weeks yeah. ago, and, and she's involved with email. But, uh, you know, I think, do you think that productivity is either warped or broken in terms of the way it's approached Mm. today? 
today, you know, I would argue that it's probably better now than it was. Pre-pandemic, maybe? Pre-pandemic, yeah. 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 But it is definitely not ideal. Right. I mean, and like you said, I mean, we, we had those days where those halcyon days where everybody had a new app for us to try and then we'd write about it. And then a bunch of people who just tried the last app would say, oh, wow, a new app for me to try, not realizing that we're actually diminishing their productivity. Yep. <laughs> but but I, I mean, for one, I enjoyed that time um, because it seemed like there was just so much creativity in the yeah. space. Yeah. Um, and there's just so much, you know, passion around finding better ways to work. Um, but like you said, the pace of life and the pace of business and everything has just changed so much that a lot of that joy in in trying to tweak your workload to find ways to get more done in less time so you can do important things or do the things you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Cause um, you know, you know, or, I mean, that's the, that's the thing is I think w- what happened was it went, there was a tipping point where yeah. life hackery went yeah. from like, let's speed up the right, the, the things we should speed up so we can do these other things to let's just yep. speed up everything. Let's speed up everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, honestly, I think that that was kind of the, the 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 actual slope right Mm -hmm. that was that was the slide right down you know into kind of where we are now where it's like everything's faster everything everything do everything do more do do it faster do it better and go on 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 as opposed to remembering that the whole point of trying to increase your productivity is you want to get work done so you can go not work Mm -hmm. (laughs) or go do something else go write a book go build a cabin go spend time with your family or something like that right um and instead now it's like how can i optimize all the things how do i optimize you know my time with my family which is a terrible idea but here we are you know so yeah um Setting boundaries. I want to talk about that because that I think is a challenge everyone faces, but I would imagine that it's more so. And as I went through the book, I was like floored because the boundaries aren't just time related either. Can you kind of dive into that a bit? Because I think a lot of people, when they think about boundaries, are like, I'm going to say no, or I'm going to (laughs) block off this time. And right, right out of the gate, you said, like, no meeting Tuesdays. People looked at me like I had two heads. But if yep. if a white guy said it, oh, wow, it's innovative, right? Yeah. Like, it just, you know, and, and actually, truth be told, I don't think no meeting days are the best idea anymore anyway. I'd ra- I don't it, the ma- Mathematically, it makes more sense to have no meetings in the after, like, no meetings prior to noon because you gain more right. time back that way. And it doesn't, exactly. and the optics look better. But that aside, boundaries yeah. <laughs> seem to be a challenge. Like They for, are. So let's dive into that. Sure. I mean, I think the big kicker there is that it's a matter of respect, right? And it's a matter of kind of professional courtesy. And if you are of a group of people who by default have the privilege of that level of professional courtesy, where people look at you and you are the, rather I shouldn't say you are, but you can fall into that person's vision 
of what a CEO looks like, a manager looks like, a good worker looks like, a, a professional in your field looks like and behaves, right? Because it's not just looks, but it's also behavior and everything. Um, if you fall into those categories, then you're more likely to be respected. You're more likely for, to block off your calendar <clears throat> for lunch and not have someone book right over you, you know? And if you don't, then you just don't get that respect. You just, you have to then step up and, and patrol those boundaries and make sure that people don't book over you. And if they do, you have to play the bad guy. You have to find the most convenient, kind of apologetic, most placating way to say, hey, I'm booked then. Can we find another time? You know, without calling into question why they always do it, but just making sure that you push back every time because the first time you don't is going to open the floodgates to them doing whatever they want to do with your time. Um, and I also, I think it, it, it is an, it's an issue of kind of a sense of time ownership mm -hmm. um, where managers can get away with this to a certain extent, right? Because, you know, you're their direct report. And so, Hey, I need you when I need you, but you know, peers and other people in other departments or people who you work with loosely. I mean, oftentimes when somebody wants something, they're thinking more about themselves and their own needs than they are thinking about you and your needs or your space and your time. So they'll just book you regardless, or they'll just demand your attention. They'll send you an email at 6 p.m. And, and that's super urgent or because or 13 emails throughout the day instead of batching right. it as one instead of batching it as one or or and I mean I know no one likes to talk on the phone but this is something I learned you know as a project manager I was so phone phobic that my my uh, director of project management would be like just just call just just call I mean we were all at our desks and everything I mean this was a standard office environment so we were all at our desks mm -hmm. just call just get up and go walk over and say hey do you have a second I just had a quick question and um I don't know if I like that advice that much anymore but because you know most of us don't like talking on the phone but like a text doesn't hurt mm -hmm. or you know a slack doesn't hurt or a schedule send for their morning doesn't hurt right as opposed to 13 emails over the course of the day right and there's there's and there's also again there's subtext there's like okay an email to me and again this is this is all about and you mentioned this right out of the, the gate yeah. you're you're saying that there's there's no way that you can expect to change the way the organization works right you have to figure out how to work within the confines of the organization or you leave and we're going to talk about that mm -hmm. yeah um but I think that that you can, and again, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Like, yeah. for example, an email to me is, hey, this is important information, but it's not necessarily urgent. A, right. a DM is, right? Mm -hmm. Or a text, even more so, because I'm reaching into your personal space. True. Now, again, there's nuance there. Some people don't know boundaries, right? That's so, true. So it, when it comes to, to that kind of stuff, um, is that something that number one you feel in your role? I mean, you've got a level yeah. of expertise too, which is which maybe others don't that's that are listening right now. I mean, you yeah. you have a lot of experience in the productivity and, and, and time management space yeah. um, that others may not. How should someone dip their toe into that to say, hey, what if we did this? Or what if we, you know, is that or is it again more of that maybe suggestion to somebody who may have the ear of someone like it, it yeah 
it's it's a power dynamic thing, yeah. right? Yeah, you're absolutely right, though. If, if you're reaching up, making suggestions, I would definitely, well, I, I just said it, right? If you're reaching up, make it a suggestion. <laughs> yeah. But <clears throat> if you're reaching down um, or you're reaching across, you know, to peers or direct reports or somebody you work with or somebody that you are you work with but are also kind of personally close to, then it's okay to kind of say, hey, is it okay if I text you sometimes? Mm -hmm. And I will always, you know, obviously you want to be a good person about it. You want to say, hey, I'm cognizant of your time and your space. I'm not going to text you after hours. I'm never going to text you and not tell you when I need to hear back from you, stuff like that. Like um, one of my best friends does not have Slack installed on his phone, but all of his managers have his phone number. And the understanding there is if it's truly urgent, text me regardless of the time. But that's my trade-off for not having Slack installed on my phone. Um, it works for him, right? <laughs> now, I don't know if that would work for me, <laughs> but, you know, and then I don't think that that's not, that could also be a privilege thing, but not in this case. Um, but I think that it's it's important to remember that, like, there is a lot to gain from even having the basic conversation or basic question. It's basically ask somebody, what's the best way to interact with you? Yeah. And What's the best way to interact with you when I need something quickly? Um, because like, I agree with you. Email to me, I look at my emails. I schedule send things for the next day if I need to reply to somebody. If somebody sends me a DM, I'm going to look at that pretty much immediately. And if they send me a text, I, oh, geez, please don't, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> Like, I know I just said it, but I'm just... Uh... But that's you, though. And I think... Yeah. So this is this is my wife. My wife saw me when I was preparing for this interview reading your book. Yeah. And she's like, what is that? What, what's the book about? And I expl I, I gave her a best explanation I could. Yeah. And she she actually... We, we discussed this. And she said, how with with the heat so turned up yeah. on, you know where everyone feels like they might be walking on eggshells. Everyone yeah. that feel everyone that's conscientious. Let's 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 use that. I mean Casey Neistat put out a great video yesterday as we're recording this. So this is being recorded well in advance, but he talked about the Kanye West situation. Yeah. And he talked about like like people who are watching this are not the people that would be necessarily, you know, listening to Kanye in this situation. Right. 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 And I and I feel as I was reading this book, I found myself going this all makes total sense to me. Like, how is this not, but then there's also this, like, I would imagine. And again, I, you, you're in it. Uh, yeah. that there's some people that are like, okay, well, like it gets very, you know, like kid gloves yeah. kind of, how do, how do we get past that? How do we, yeah. uh, uh, sorry, we only have three minutes. So no, I'm yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, this is a start. I have to say, yeah. you you put this, you know, this book really is something that I, as I went through it, I'm like, this is not just for people who are marginalized. This marginalized. is for people who need to understand that there are people who are marginalized yeah. that you may not necessarily. So, so maybe, maybe this is the start. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I would hope so. I mean, and this is something that I tell managers when I have the opportunity to talk to them is to whenever possible, embrace a more human centric, empathetic style of management, because we're all tense. We're all I mean, we've been living through the past three years of like social trauma. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
there's so much we can all gain just from saying, hey, I know that there are business demands and economic demands and all of this, but we're all human beings here. We all have lives. You know, if that person is getting up at 5 p.m. every day to leave immediately, that's not a dark mark on their performance or their commitment to the job. Maybe they have a kid that they need to pick up from daycare because parenting, you know, mm-hmm. like they just try to think and try to remember that we're all human beings and we're all kind of in this together and try to show a little bit of empathy for each other. And it'll be easier when people do start to enforce their boundaries, when people do start to speak up and say, hey, I feel unfairly excluded from these things or from opportunities, from projects and things like that, you'll be more willing to listen to them. And the flip side to that is that more people will have the psychological safety to speak up and say, hey, I've been worried about this for a while. Let's talk about it because they'll know that they can trust you to to engage in good faith. The book is called Seen, Heard, and Paid, The New Work Rules for the Marginalized. Alan, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Where can people keep up with you and your work and pick up the book? Uh, uh, at alanhenry.net, alan-henry.net, um, links to all my socials and obviously links to the book. Books available anywhere books are sold. Um, yeah, and I think The Strand still has some signed copies if you want to order one online. So yeah. Excellent. And they should by the time people hear this. <laughs> Thanks so much, Alan. Uh, it's been a really great, productive com- conversation today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Big thanks to Alan for joining me on the program today. Very important conversation to have. I'm glad we had it. It was productive and important. The kind of conversations I strive to have on every episode of this podcast. You can check out all the important links and anything else, including where to pick up Alan's book at productivityist.com slash podcast 458. Now, there are two ways to support the show. Number one You can check out the sponsors page, which will feature some of the sponsors that you heard during today's episode. Just go to productivities.com slash podcast sponsors to make that happen. Now, the other thing you can do, and it's really easy to make this happen, is just hit subscribe on the podcast app that you're using right now, that button, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. That way you subscribe to the podcast. And that way you don't miss a single episode of what's to come as well as easily search through the archives and check out all the episodes that we've had leading up to this point, all 457 prior to this one. Super easy, super simple, easy way to support the show. As for this episode, we're done. That's it. That's the end. You've you've heard it. And now it's time to move on with the rest of your day. I'll see you next time. Until then, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.